Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled to be joined by the always wonderful Emily Watson to talk all about her latest film, God's Creatures. And I love the way that that you talk about this film when you first read the script before you'd even met the directors or, or met anyone in the film team and finding it very truthful and, and poetic, but also very rooted in place and community. And I was interested in how those, those first impressions and the fact that it is set in such a specific community and such a tight-knit place, how that really helped you as an road into starting to envision who you really saw this character to be right at the beginning before you'd even had filmmaker conversations and and talked through the script with anyone I could smell the sea when I read this script and I felt who are these filmmakers because this this has an authenticity that you don't often come across in a in a film script um, and the people felt so of the place and what they were experiencing and going through was very strong and very real, but it wasn't expressed. They don't talk about how they feel. or It's all very, it's a film full of sub currents and um, unspoken emotions, which is an incredibly toxic thing potentially to deal in. Um, and also those ties that bind those sort of, you know, like it's an atomic bond, mother and son, and then you break that. And it's like, it is like letting off a bomb. It's, it's, and, and the, 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 the intensity of the mother-son relationship and the weirdness of it. I just loved, it all was really screwed up and wonderful. <laughs> I loved it. I love all of that. And, and you're touching there upon the, the unspoken moments and what's so striking in watching the film is, you know, for your character and the rest is that not much is said, but when words are spoken out loud, they're kind of very carefully considered and, and they really mean something for anyone to speak throughout the film. And so what was your relationship to working with the dialogue and, and kind of really looking at all the silences between the lines in the script as you were starting to really shape her out? For yourself and your, for your performance? Um, I, I, I had a long way to travel from me, middle class, white, nice English London, you know, to get to somebody who works in a fish factory on the coast of Ireland. Um, I'd get out of my head and into my body, but also the dialect, and the, you know, changing the sound of my voice was very um, important in that. But I think somebody who works with their hands and is a really creative cook and just lives in a place where the sea is a is a person in your life it's a character in your life and the sea represents extreme danger and financial gain money you know money is in the sea and they're they're living off that relationship and it's it's you know great gains and it's great dangers um so it's a very very different way to envisage a life than the life that I lead um, and that was really exciting to me it smelled different and um, but then also I had the experience of going in with surrounded by Irish everybody else was Irish well apart from the directors who were from New York um, and sort of took a bit of courage to take my place in that um, but it's uh, it's a very intoxicating part of the world and it feels magic and it feels um, it has power and I you know I know people like Fola the producer and Shane the writer are from one of these villages these fishing places 
and they have a very complex relationship with it, I think. You know, it's, um, it feels like the center of the universe and it's a very, very tight-knit community. And in our film, the story is that sexual assault is committed and the community just closes ranks and, you know, ostracizes the woman. You know, and that's a reflection of society at large. Victims of sexual assault are, do not get a good, do not get treated well. You know, it's, um, I, you know, this is the kind of film I want, I want young people to come out of this film having arguments about that shit. You know, I, I think, sorry, I said a bad word. <laughs> it's all good. It's, it's the internet. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, it doesn't give you any answers, but I think how, 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 does a, how does a morally upright, upstanding community such as this one who sing the blessing of the boats and go to mass and do all the stuff go, ah, no sexual assault, we're not, nah, we're going to block our ears, that didn't happen, we're not going to, we're not going to, you're not, you're not in trouble. How, how does that universe exist where it's not like a terrible thing? And I, I love what you're talking about there in terms of the the moral ambiguity of of a lot of the characters in that that way and, and with the storyline and particularly for your character because she's taken into this interrogation and asked you know told oh your son said that he was with you was he with you and there's not even a hesitation in that moment it's just the the parental instinct that kicks in and then the journey following that where she does reach a point where she starts to question it and and starts to see a lot more of the light of what's really going on mm-hmm. um, and so how did you find and, and navigate that course of where you felt like the internalized dialogue that your character was having was going to go and where you felt like the turning point was for her, where it really shifts and changes the dynamic with her son. I think you're absolutely right. That moment is, it's like an animal moment. It's like someone is attacking my son. No, not, you know, can't do that. Um, and I don't think she ever really thinks he's innocent. She just... It's not even an, a debate for her. It's like, I can't lose him. God gave him back to me. You know, I was, I manifested my desire for my son and he appeared and I prayed for him to come home and he came home and he can do no wrong. Um, I think, and in that moment, it's really just an, it's animal. It's an animal instinct moment and they're very much those kind of people they're very physical um earthed people but then the the she sees how the the community closes ranks around him and begins to ostracize somebody who she really loves who she's close to um and she it absolutely utter identity crisis of who am I what you know I'm clearly not the person that I thought I was I'm not a good mother and that's how I define myself I'm not a good member of this community I have destroyed a life and what do I do to have to make that right and it's very very difficult for her and takes a lot of the you know the a lot of the movie is about that internal conflict because it's she's then put herself in a lose-lose situation i mean the right thing to do is to go back to the guard and say i lied he wasn't with me he should go to trial 
And then she gives herself and him a, a, a shot at redemption. But the way it ends up, they're both in perpetual torment. You know, in, in the scheme of, in the kind of Catholic scheme of things, him after his death and her for the rest of her life, for sure. And it's a Greek tragedy. It is, and it, and it feels like there's a real shift for her in that moment where her son's in the room with Sarah and all of a sudden, again, there's just that instinctive moment where she sees his hand go towards her and she's like, don't touch him. And she's not even right next to them. She's across the room. So obviously that involves everybody else in the room. Yeah. That was a great moment in the screening last night, the whole audience coming. <gasps> and uh, yeah. That as well is is a, an instinct. She doesn't think about it. It's like she says, "Don't fucking touch her," you know. And I think that's reveals to her, to herself. I can't. I, I can't. It's unavoidable. The truth of this situation is now unavoidable to me, and I can't pretend anymore. It's not like I've decided to change my mind. I've just made these just rational decisions to see this in a different way. It's just unavoidable. And then she has what is my 16-year-old daughter's favorite scene with her daughter. Who said, she says, you know, the world's turned upside down. She says, no, it's not. It's not turned upside down. You're just seeing it for how it is for the first time. This is, a, this is the way the world works. And, you know, generation after generation of violent men have just lived and breathed and that's how we've done it mm-hmm. we've put up with it yeah and you know and I love that that the film also captures the the complexity of even as she sees that you know it's still her son and there's that real push and pull but there's also moments before where there, there is an opportunity to kind of just have unbridled joy in your character as well like when you and Paul Mezcal are in that scene where the two of them are just dancing in the bar together was that a really helpful tool for you in just really getting to explore different sides and you know with everything being very emotionally intense for a lot of the film for your character being able to also kind of celebrate this other side of her that we don't necessarily well, get to see in a lot of the narrative that part was easy it's Paul Mezcal you know what I mean um no he he and I had we, we rehearsed in, in um, isolation, in lockdown on Zoom for, I don't know, 10 days or whatever it was, nearly drove myself insane. And by the time we actually got into a physical rehearsal room, it was, we just need to play. We need to throw a ball and run around and play hide and seek. And we were like kids. We just, you know, like a piece of elastic had been let go. And we just, it would, and we had a lot of fun. And that all, that sense of, delight between them you know that all came together really easily and that was great fun to play um and gave us a very a a lovely um place you know very supportive each other the place to then we know we've got to go somewhere really difficult not only have we got to go somewhere really difficult but we've got to do it against the rising tide and all of those technical physical things that were, were tough i mean we were we were being sent um back to shore to go and have a shower to warm up because we were getting you know dangerous body temperature body temperature dropping and so that you know was, we were physically fighting a lot of things trying to stay in that very emotional place so that was you know we had a really good sense then of looking after each other 
I felt like an old lady. I could barely move at the end of the day, sort of shoving me back in the boat. <laughs> Just one more take. <laughs> but when you're wearing, I don't know if you've ever done this, wearing really, really proper waders in deep water, it's like trying to walk, you know, and I imagine like walking, I don't know, through mud. It's really heavy and really difficult. And I was, I can't do this. I mean, in, in working with Paul as well, you know, I feel like you you describe him so effusively as, as like being very intellectually astute in terms of the character and, and being very deep in terms of the conversations that the two of you would have. And, and you know, you were mentioning there having a 10 day rehearsal period over Zoom. So I'm sure that that wasn't just kind of reading through scenes, but really being able to have a lot of discourse and discussion. Yeah. And so what would those conversations look like or where was it really helpful to be able to spend that time discussing a lot of the subtext of certain scenes for you both? Yes, I think, you know, a lot of, we had to sort of have quite a revisionist, you know, walk ourselves backwards to a time where it, 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 the conversation that's happening now, happening now hadn't happened. So young people are not are not having had that, you know. I, I mean, one of the very fundamental things that I think we talked about is that Brian and Aileen have a have this incredible bond, and they've always been really close, but they've never had proper conversations about real, you know, they've never had a conversation about consent, and it's just because you don't. It's not. It's not part of the Catholic canon of teaching of how to be a good person it doesn't you know it's not part of it and that's a big moral hole in that universe i think you know thou shalt not rape is doesn't really um you know so we had a lot of big philosophical conversations about all of that stuff um and then we had a lot of conversations because i had I had, you know, it was much easier for a lot of them to travel the distance to that place and that the culture. I had a lot of um, tuning in to do culturally, you know, with how that kind of community works and you know, musically and poetically. And, you know, it's just, a, it's, you know, it's different. It's just very different from what I'm used to. Um, and it was great to be spending the time with all of them and, um, yeah, it was great. It's really, really fun. I love that. You know, and, and going back to something that you were talking about a little bit earlier on at the beginning in terms of, of this character being very salt of the earth and very connected to the earth. And, you know, she's working in this fish factory in a supervisory role. So you're not necessarily the person kind of going through the oysters and handling them on the, the conveyor, but that's obviously a job that she would have done rising up through the ranks. And so how did you set about really finding that, that connection, you know, to the land and, and to the sea and the way that that's really infiltrated her? I can gut a salmon, I can fill it a mackerel, I can sort oysters. I, you know, we we went we were we went through the train, the basic training to do to work the line in the fish factory, um, which was smelly and actually really fun. I mean, really fun. Sharp knives, you know, and you have to work at speed and all of that. But with all that, because it was lockdown, we had a dedicated group of essays who were, you know, they were all testing every time they came back to the set. But it was the same group of people. It was very controlled. Thing, but they were all um, they were worked in fish factories. That was their real job, and so they showed us what to do. And they, them, they kind of you know set the tone in a way of that of that room and how the the, the pace and the speed and the level of attention that you pay and you don't pay and the camaraderie and all of that stuff. 
I love that, you know, and, and also in talking about the dialect a little bit, you were touching upon that before. I was interested in, in kind of what your process was for finding the dialect and even just there's, there's something very specific about the tone of voice that you found for this character as well and the way that, that she speaks very softly, but very specifically. Um, was that a case for you of kind of going through and finding the dialect with the script or is it more just about finding the general conversation of the dialect and then being able to play around with it in different spaces? Um, both. I, I had a dialect coach and had to do very, very, very specific work because I've done, um, I've done Irish accents before, but this is very very different, very specific, really quite a tricky one to wrap your tongue around. So we had, I like worked every day of a, a kind of crib sheet of exact, of sentences, little kind of little rhymes and poems that this is exactly how you say this. And we kept going over and over and over and over and over it. And I'd be able to get it and not get it and get it and not get it. And then it started to fall into place. But at the same time, we were then going through the script with a tooth comb really nailing exactly how each syllable should be uh, pronounced. So I got to the point where I had done all that work and then you start to kind of, you have to let that go because otherwise you just, just sound like a robot, it's ridiculous. But I had to, it was a lot of work to get it innate. It just, it's not something I can do easily, I'd falling off a log, but you know, I have to study. Um, so that's how I did it. And then terrifyingly turned up and everyone else didn't sound the same. But I discovered that when I then, um, when I talked to uh, Fola Cronin or Eddie's family, who are all from there, from Kerry, they all sound different. The men sound different from the women and the generations all sound different. It's a very broad church actually, deeply complex. So I, yeah, I kind of picked my way through it. I also wanted to ask about working with Ashley Frankowski, who plays Sarah so beautifully in the film. And, you know, like you were saying before, this this is someone that she really has such an affinity for and really loves. And, you know, it really steps over being just a friendship. You know, there, there's a kind of like a familial feel between the two of them before everything happens with the assault. Um, and so how did you determine what you wanted that relationship and the intimacy of that to look like with each other? I think I was, you know, I was a mother figure to her. You know, when she was growing up, she had a relationship with Brian. Um, her parents had died. And so she was, I was very much looking out for her being, being, you know, she was having, at the beginning of the film, she's having a sort of terrible time in a relationship. And I, I do feel very motherly towards her. So it's very confounding and confusing when she doesn't want to speak to me. She's obviously in some kind of trouble and she doesn't want to have anything to do with our family. And then it may mean that the sort of awful gut punch of it, you know, your first instinct is you protect your own. And then you kind of start thinking about, hang on a minute, that's, you know, the look she gives me in the courtroom when I repeat the lie is devastating. She's brilliant. She's, she's so quietly strong and she's like an angel, avenging angel. She's amazing. And that's, soliloquy that she has at the end about the ghosts I mean that's enough to haunt Aileen for the rest of her life just that speech and the way she delivers it really powerful 
you know, and, and you're mentioning there the the court scene and that moment where the camera just completely holds on your your character looking over at her. And there's a lot of, of instances of that in the film where we just get these really wonderful close-up moments and this real insight into your character. What's your approach for going into scenes like that? You know, kind of going back to what you were talking about before, the, the silent moments in between, but especially when you know that it really is this close-up lingering moment and a dialogue that the audience is connecting to your character in. Um, I think, you know, a lot of the DNA of the film is the inner turmoil of the moral choice that Aileen has made. Um, um, but I didn't, that wasn't something I, I felt like I was doing on my own because every scene we, uh, either on the day or before in rehearsals, we discussed with it, I discussed with Anna and Celia and the, and, and, you know, and the others very, we'd had very profound conversations about the emotional impact of it all and so we were we shared those emotions together we really you know got everything out of it and then they trusted me to just let it play out and they you know put the camera on my face and let those things happen which is an enormous act of trust because that doesn't always happen you don't feel that the director lets the actor do any heavy lifting they want to control it and show it and demonstrate it in some way. And I felt very, it, we had a great trust, sense of trust between us that they, you know, let me, let me have that. It was yeah. good. And with their directing style overall, I, I've heard you kind of describe it as, as like a very gentle and very subtle, but very precise and detailed mm -hmm. style. Um, and so what what were kind of the ways in which they would really work with you and, and help to guide or find certain moments as you okay. were having those conversations? Working with a directing duo is, you know, I wasn't at all sure how that was going to be, you know, because two people, does it slow things down? Do they have disagreements? Do, you know, what's the, but I think they were so, clear in their intentions in every moment um that there wasn't they really trusted each other so there wasn't that they you know after every take there would be maybe a little for a few seconds one of them would go to camera one would go to the actors never the same one different one every time and i was never sure if i was going to have a conversation with Anna or celia but it would always be a continuation of the same you know the same um, and they'd come and say something really quiet and precise. Do you, you know, think about Brian or think about, you know, think about something, think about this. And it was always a really good note. Um, but there wasn't any, you know, they, they were they were so um, respectful of everybody on the set as well. Like, they, you know, they, they, there wasn't any sense that anybody's job was more important than anybody else's. They would ask the prop master to move a chair by saying, would you be so kind as to move, you know, it was delightful and very different from, from what you often get. Um, and they had this Irish crew eating out of their hats, right, you know, dancing this beautiful dance. Amazing. And, and in talking a little bit more about Eileen's relationship with her, with her son, you know, obviously at the beginning of the film, he's been gone for an extended period of time and he's been in Australia without her even really knowing specifically where he was or what he was doing. You know, he hasn't been in communication with his family back home. And so it also feels like there's a lot of 
conversations that she wants to have a lot of things that she wants to ask him you know what were you doing where were you living who were you hanging out with and there's such restraint exercised because she understands if she pushes too hard it's kind of that that like holding a really tiny bird and and not putting too much pressure it's going to fly away and so what was the, what was the restraint that you really wanted to find in the character of what she wants versus what she's actually asking him or talking to him about I think she wants there to be a healing with the family. I think she wants him to reveal himself to her um, so that she can help him. And, you know, because it's obviously not been a happy, successful time. And she, he, you know, he doesn't really, he just gives off signals of, I don't want to let you in. And in a way, she doesn't want to burst the bubble. She doesn't want to go, why don't you want to let me in? What happened? Doesn't want to, any ugliness to appear because then she might lose what she has. But also she doesn't really know him anymore. I mean, he, le- he left her, he was a boy and he's come back a man. She's kind of intoxicated by that. And, but also wants to treat him like her little child again it, it you know it's all quite weird I think and and you know there is that moment as well you're talking about her just wanting peace and, and connectivity within this family again um and there's that moment where it's kind of like if she could have anything she wanted she would just want to have him really get along with his father and there's obviously a real disconnect between the two of them how in depth did you discuss like what that relationship would look like and and for you where did that place her in the dynamic of being the person that's the mediator and that's really in the middle of that conflict between the two of them yeah we had a lot of conversations about what had gone on in the past why why this family was so dysfunctional and I love that the film doesn't really explain it but you can just feel it oh my god you can feel it in the room you know um yeah we we, were actually Shane Crowley wrote us all like a little bits of backstory to try and help us make sure that we all kind of built that scenario but it very much about generational violence that you know the grandfather had been cold and violent to his children who and they were in turn were, in, were quite violent to that you know if the father was in time was violent to brian probably as a child um and that he, brian was broken by that and left um and came back stronger and able to beat his dad you know that's part of it I think it's sort of he comes back a man and takes over the takes over the oysters oyster farm that his dad was not able to maintain and abandon had abandoned you know it's a very macho we're not going to talk about it but oh boy it's coming out at some point you know it's all gonna blow up did, did a lot of that for you go into the moment where she first sees her, you know, first sees Brian when he's first walked into the room and she had no idea that he was going to show up because there's such elation and joy. But at the same time, that moment also silently feels very loaded with a lot of other things that we just don't know yet in that instance. Yes. yes. I think, I mean, for her, it's a moment of, it's an answered prayer. Literally she's cradling the baby and she's singing to it and she's just full of pain and, prayer for her son to return she puts the baby down and looks up and there he is 
And so it's a moment of kind of religious wonder in, in some senses and just so happy and full of light, but also what the fuck? Where have you been? What, why didn't you, what, where, you know, no, so many unanswered questions, but it's somebody's funeral, you know, and it's his childhood best friend's funeral. So there's so much piling in on that moment that nothing is really said and nothing really gets properly said um, down the line, which should get said. And, and picking up off what you were saying before about you feel like they've always been close, but there's just a lot of conversations that they've never had with one another. I did want to want to go into spoiler territory and talking a little bit about that end scene with the two of you. And mm. just for you, what did it really take for her to have that moment where she does have that confrontation with him and she is finally having that conversation that they've completely avoided for all of this time with one another? Mm. I think she knows she has to lose him. I think she's reached the point where she knows um, that when the violence has come out at the funeral, that she's defended Sarah and spat at him, she's defended Sarah. And that act of defending Sarah has made her realize what she really thinks. Um, and then he and then he beats his father up in front in public, in front of everybody, and that's it. It's done. She's over him, and she knows he's not the person he thought she was. Um, and she really, really clearly knows that he's guilty. And she doesn't want to send him to prison, but she doesn't want her to have anything more. She just wants him gone. She says, I'm not supporting you anymore. I want you gone. That's it. Go. Um, because she realises, you know, she says, is there no heart or feeling in you? You're not feeling anything about what you've done. Are you, you are she probably a psychopath? And I don't know you, I don't recognize you. And that was, you know, incredibly tough for her because she wants, desperately wants him to be a different person from the person he is. She wants the love, she wants the, the joy, the, the, the confirmation, the, you know, everything that he gives her. And she can't because she just can't. And they're also then in a, in a situation of great physical peril out at sea. And as they're having this incredible, incredibly intense thing, they're not really realising what's going on around them. She gets to the boat and, again, in the, the moral construct of her universe, she says, I'll, I'm, I, I, I'm not going to rescue him I'm not going to he's calling out for me I'm not going to rescue him I'm going to I'm I will surrender this moment to God God decides whether he lives or dies total abdication again of personal responsibility um and then she has and then she is in perpetual torment beyond after that I mean there's a moment where and then after, immediately after, and there's the scene which is after his wake, and she's I'm just sitting there at the table smoking, and it's it's a place of very very deep pain and regret and guilt and and the realization that this is forever. What was the decision of a moment is now forever, forever. Mm -hmm. 
you know, it's the, the furies will torment me now. That's the feeling of that. And, and what did that look like going into the moment where she's she's made that decision within herself to not even lift her body up, to not even verbally respond to him as he's calling for her, where you're just laying in the boat and really just everything that that means because you know it's it's something that she's processing what's happening in real time but also probably still not fully processing what this means for her moving forward yeah I think there's a million things going on but I think you know it's one of those moments am I about to die of a heart attack or you know is he about to die or what's that I can't I can't do this I'm just going to pray you know um she, she in that moment she 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 doesn't she doesn't you know what she actually does is not she could have saved his life and she doesn't but the way that she processes that moment to herself is i'm surrendering um which is, you know, a complex piece of Catholic double thinking kind of craziness, you know, and we talked a lot, an awful lot about that moment because it was one of my questions right from the start was, how do you get there? You know, how do you get to the point where you actively involved in the death of your own child? Um, and, and we talked with a psychiatrist and they, they, you know, we talked about the whole idea of it being an act of faith. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's such a, a stunningly nuanced performance throughout the film, and it's really beautifully told in the way that it's approached such a, a complex and deep subject matter. So congratulations on everything with the film, and thank you so much for talking about it. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much.